0: we go. I am the
1: father. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Let's get to it. Welcome to the Post Credit Podcast, a show about
0: Luke, fucking Skywalker, <laughs> Oh my god. Alright, ready? Hello and welcome to the post-credit podcast. Normally, Eric and I, we love to kind of dive into the day's trending news, talk a little back-and-forth banter, and then get into the meat and potatoes of whatever that episode is for that day. But today is the season two finale of The Mandalorian. So really, there's nothing else to discuss, nothing else on the hierarchy of entertainment news Did something happen. diving in. Did something happen in the show today? Something, something big that I missed? Uh, you know,
1: I, I uh, I, I got maybe we'll say I got bored and turned it off at like the half an hour mark. Did I miss <laughs> anything?
0: <laughs> I'm sure you did, Eric. You know what? That would track. No. So, the Mandalorian season two finale. I think this is going to be one of our best episodes because Eric and I are on opposing viewpoints. Though I think relative common ground otherwise. Uh, Eric. It's you even seem, you to kind seem of,
1: frustrated. I'm not gonna no,
0: lie. No, to you. no, no. No, no, not frustrated. Overflowing with varying, uh numerous conflicting emotions. Definitely yeah. not frustrated though. That's that's that is not. And and you know, some of the things I'm gonna say today are negative, but frustration, I that's that's not one of them.
1: And how much of your feelings are built upon the ending, and how much of your feelings are built upon the show and the season as a whole?
0: Great question, Eric. Great question. I think the ending is perhaps a microcosm to what I feel about the show overall. And while I've come a long way in appreciating what this show is rather than what you and I have argued it should be, I still do believe that there are certain show-building strategies and formulas that would better benefit The Mandalorian than what we've seen. Now, having said all that, that doesn't mean I haven't had a big old, you know, uh, Star Wars boner throughout a lot of this episode. But, you know, we'll we'll get into it. Uh, Eric, is there anything you want to say before we kind of jump into the plot? Because this, this is the finale. This is the time for yeah, big th- statements that we will for make sure.
1: throughout. Well, as you just touched on, we talk about what this show is and what we think it should be. I think this week it was what you and I think it should be, even more so than the big reveal or the big fight scenes, which we'll talk about in depth. There were some emotional beats in this show that are more poignant than anything Star Wars has ever really put forth. When you put the context of the father-son love between Mando and Grogu and contrast that with the Anakin Padme, horrible, awkward, did not click Once love, when you compare those two and you underline how much I think and what I've always said is that this is to me a father-son show, the emotional payoffs of those themes in this season in this season finale for me worked. And while they started off shaky, I think that season two's ending particularly, and again, not even counting the whole Luke thing, whose name we haven't even said yet, I was I felt fulfilled by where this story went even though I don't I'm not necessarily hyped about it I feel fulfilled by it.
0: Yeah, and that's an important delineation that we should make and I agree with the father son element for sure and I think that was great. The last trap door on how we got there today, I have many conflicting emotions and feelings and thoughts about. You're right though that the the emotional core of the surrogate father and son relationship between Din Jaren and Grogu. That worked throughout the show, throughout season two, and throughout this finale. But isn't that what we've asked for? Strong narrative that's different threads? Than, that, that's different than the way I think the show is executed on a week-to-week basis. Okay. Fair enough. Then let's right, do it. let's get into the plot. Right doo-doo, 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 doo-doo. You guys can't see, but I'm dancing. That's I'm dancing. the last so time... Hard. Do, do, well, for do, a year. Do, do. Yeah. Then we'll yep. come back and we'll do it. Maybe maybe we'll have a remix in. I don't yep. know. It'll be yep. great. All right. So the show opens with the slave one chasing after uh, a Lambda class shuttle that is uh, that is ferrying Dr. Pershing somewhere. Uh, I love how just right off the bat, people are shooting at them. Dr. Pershing goes like, what's happening? Who are they? And the shuttle pilot tells him to shut up. Like if you and I, Eric, were sitting at a McDonald's and someone across the room just hawked a half eaten burger at us, it would be perfectly fair for either one of us to be like, hey, who did that? And this guy's just like, shut up with your stupid questions.
1: Well, and I think that this sort of they played on this more and sort of tried to make Pershing not not a bad guy. Like they wanted to highlight the fact that he's more a scientist. He's not a Imperial loyalist. He's just there for the science, I think. And that's why they kind of, he was both willing to help the good guys and was being told to shut the hell up by the bad guys.
0: We saw that in season one too. And he, when he thinks Mando's there to kill the child and he's trying to protect him. But at the end of the day, even if you're about the science, if you're doing the science for the space Nazis, you know what? You don't really have my sympathy. And then
1: conversely, you use the term space Nazi. I thought that I loved the sadistic sliminess of that pilot in that first scene, because I feel like Star Wars gets in the trap of making you think that the stormtroopers aren't necessarily evil. They just don't know better. Showing that these people have agency in what they're doing and are aware of the atrocities that are being carried out by their hand, showing that in back-to-back weeks with that guy last week who, who got killed by Bill Burr, and this week, is really highlighting the empire slash first order as more as a general idea of bad guyness and an actual tangible Nazi-esque threat. Um, I agree completely. I really, really enjoyed the fact that they are making clear that these people are some bastards.
0: It's a great back to back example of exactly what you just said,, uh, you know, the Bill Burr episode and this. And I wrote down here in my notes, this opening is darker and more mature than what we've gotten arguably all season, and of course, there's no blood in in Star Wars, but the conceptual ideology of this scene as you mentioned is is pretty deep and heavy this is a man who not only kills his own comrade because that comrade's willing to acquiesce to uh, the guy with the blaster hold to his head's uh, demands but he's also someone well aware of the atrocities his organization is committing and thinks they're justified in doing so I thought the philosophy of him saying a small price to pay the destruction of Alderaan in order to get rid of terrorism in the galaxy it is such an interesting shifting perspective that everyone thinks they're the hero of their own story and the fact that this guy was willing to go to such great lengths and say such heinous things to Cara Dune really strong opening really uh, liked it
1: and let me just tie a thread to what you just said about this being as dark as we've seen in this show because I wrote that at the end of the episode where Moff Gideon went to blow his head off and I was like holy shit like this is a Star Wars show in there and they're fainting suicide so that theme of darkness was there throughout the entire show
0: yeah and episode it, it I was, mean it was really well constructed here and I really liked how it opened. I think from there it gets a, a little bit wobbly, you know, slave one arrives at a planet with like the large refineries and everything. And there's a bunch of starships and they go to the the bar to find Bo-Katan and, and her mate. And I think this entire conversation was, was a bit manufactured a, a bit ridiculous in the sense that they're ultimately on the same side, even if their goals don't perfectly align And there needs to be more common ground. You know, Bo-Katan goes from hurling truly heinous insults at Boba Fett to being like, all right, you know, now I'm game. You know, there's a better way to approach leadership, in my opinion, than what happens in this conversation that ultimately results in him recruiting the night owls for his quest to save baby Yoda, which really just, just could have been done a lot more efficient and streamlined.
1: I agree with what you just said, and I wrote this down, which was a point that was proven later. Bo-Katan accused Din Djarin of being an extremist, which is more of the vibe I get from her. I agree completely. Um, She's able to lighten up on her traditions when it comes to her helmet and stuff, but because Boba Fett isn't a true Mandalorian, she doesn't respect in the same way, or she's able to let go of the Mandalorian rules about showing your face, but not about how you could pass on the Darksaber. And to me, that is such a specific, almost Trumpian, the world is going to live by my rules and my rules alone. And that was proven in the end, which we will get to, because that scene to me, of all the scenes in in this one, that one really pissed me off. She, to me, was the, the weakest part of this entire episode.
0: I'm on the same page and I think I chalk it up to just poor writing that meets the demands of a particular scene. Okay. There needs to be conflict before they agree to team up. Why? Because it, it theoretically makes for compelling drama. Okay. There needs to be a, a, a setup for a future conflict between Mando and Bo- Bo-Katan about the dark saber. Why? Because it theoretically makes for compelling drama as opposed to a realistic leader Who's literally trying to save an entire species and planet full of people, adhering to some archaic, needless tradition? It, it is bothersome, I will say. And I agree that her writing, not, you know, Katie Sackhoff is great. I oh, of course. I'm screen. saying the character, the writing, not, not yeah. the
1: chick planner, of course, but the character, her inconsistencies with when and where she applies yep. her moral code don't make any sense. But that said, it, it, I did enjoy, again, like its means to an end. Yes, this scene didn't make much sense, but that little quick scrap between Boba Fett and whoever the hell uh, the non-Bo-Katan chick is (laughs) was pretty cool, you know? So like, I'm not, you know, this show and I am going to write in a post for work today that for the last 20 years, Star Wars has struggled to recapture its very core element and that's fun between the prequels and the sequels there's this sense of anxiety and bitterness but with this show it's just fun and this while not the strongest writing was still a fun scene
0: i think fun can be balanced with quality storytelling and that's more so my problem later in the episode with the big reveal which we will get to uh, so from here, you know, they, they've recruited the Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan. wants Moff Gideon. She obviously wants the Darksaber. They're all on the same page. From there, they basically launch a plan to infiltrate Moff Gideon's light cruiser and, you know, assault the compound. And as we've said on this show many times, I think some of the best action scenes in the show are when they are trying to infiltrate and break down some sort of stronghold. This one, I thought, was not quite as kinetic and energetic as previous action scenes. This one felt to me like the hilarious punchline that our stormtroopers and their ineffectiveness taken to an absolute extreme. It was really just the good guys walking in straight lines without any cover and blasting people away. I, I didn't get that same sense of Jason Bourne takedown level by level fun that I got in previous episodes. What were you thinking?
1: They they do make a point of it to say that this cruiser is not as filled as it once was, that it is considerably light on manpower. When you combine that lack of strength and depth with how, as we've talked all year, superhero-esque Mando and now his pals are but really su- they,
0: it really comes down, it really comes into perspective later in this episode how not superheroes yes, they are.
1: But I did think that while you might not have thinked the infiltration was strong, I thought the quick TIE fighter launch dogfight sequence was such a flex. Like, I don't know if we've ever that was great. Like seen them like sort of like bowling pins almost, you know, like feed in and shoot out. I thought that that was a cool scene them crash landing I like then. So again, I'm willing to forgive some narrative oversights if I'm having as much fun as I'm having. And I was. And I will say this. While I still think the slave ones design is fucking preposterous and doesn't make Yeah, let
0: that nitpick go, man.
1: and doesn't make sense. Season 2 did well to A make me realize how cool the ship it still is and B it helped bring new fans like myself up to speed on why Boba Fett is such a beloved character. Like, I went from not really getting why he has this hype to being like, this dude is a fucking badass. Because when you combine his sort of dog fighting skills with his significantly more brutal fighting style, Like, I get it now. Dude's I mean, even
0: original trilogy fans are probably on the same page as you. You know, I I never understood the hype around Boba, who's ineffective and barely has any screen time, but has amazing character design from the original. And this has really fleshed him out in a great way. I liked the dogfight scene, especially because we have to remember, this is television, and that looks every bit the 100 million dollars that it is, which is really impressive. I just didn't like the actual like boots on the ground elements. I think they've done it much better and much more exciting in previous episodes. Uh, you know, he's working his way through the ship, he's encountering bad guys, and then Moff Gideon says, "Okay, release the Dark Troopers, which are the robot bad guys we've seen, the the, the ultimate droid killing machines." I gotta be honest though, they kind of disappointed me as well. They were just big hulking punching robots, and I, I think, don't
1: agree. I thought I they were terrifying. It,
0: I think it works. These big hulking punching robots work for Terminator, which is supposed to be low-fi for Star Wars, but they're like, "This is a wall. We will punch this wall until it opens." I'm like, "Come on, this is this is some Doctor Who can't be bullshit." So what you
1: think that they should be smarter?
0: They should be smarter, more agile, more. More weapons in their in their arsenal. I just didn't like this lumbering nature. Although the Beskar spear versus the Dark Trooper was very cool.
1: Well, okay, so few things here. I really enjoyed the that sort of like broken synth score that they had, where it's like a very
0: distorted. I didn't like the. It was like dubstep adjacent to me. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. With the shots of their red glowing eyes, I thought the launch sequence. And their impending arrival was very cool. I personally, I felt like, oh, wow, these are absolutely terrifying. If they come anywhere near our squad, we are fucked. And that's the first time all season, as I've been saying, since episode one. Mando is a superhero. And this was the first time where it's like, oh, my God, he's getting his ass kicked, which is something you and I have said that this show needed. So this thing, and yes, I will complain that it's got one hand on his neck. And it's punching him in the face, which while it looks cool, but at some point, why not just choke him out?
0: Very ineffective killing machines. But I
1: thought, I just thought that the one-on-one fight scene was dope for the purpose that they serve, which is pretty much just like a bad guy red shirt, but on juice. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was cool enough.
0: It it was fine. I I I think they were a little bit of a letdown, like but not enough like to it, kill my my hype.
1: It sounds like to me. And I mean, this is part of your job, but it sounds like you were just thinking too much. Like I texted you and said, I'm going to watch this twice because I want to watch the first time and not have to worry about taking notes, which is what I've done all year. This is the first time that I just got to sit down, no phone, no notes, and just enjoy it. And I was, it's 7.30 a.m. And he's, when he shoves that spear through the dark trooper's dome piece, I'm screaming, let's go, let's go. So. (laughs) I was really, and this sounds corny, but I was feeling my way through this and not thinking through it.
0: I like thinking. I I want to mull and be provoked and decipher and analyze and evaluate. And I also want to feel I I think I do both. And I I, I like thought-provoking material. I like analyzing, evaluating, dissecting. I, I find that really enjoyable. And I like shows that have Media enough material to elicit those kind of thoughts. So I I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And plenty of times I I sit back, relax and enjoy and have fun. But again, I I always think good storytelling combines the best of both. It makes you think and it makes you feel. I'm going to
1: counter that by saying, you know, for all of its considerable strengths, Mandalorian's most potent attribute is also its most simplistic. It's fun. And while that's surely a rudimentary idea, I mean, it's Star Wars, right? It's supposed to be fun. The last two decades of content has proven that fun is easier said than done. You could take it from 1999 me, a six-year-old who was (laughs) entirely disinterested in franchise after watching a bunch of old men in robes walk around the sand and talk about tax code. Or you could take it from (laughs) 2019 me, a 26-year-old who was so repulsed by the rise of Skywalker that I almost walked out. Mando, this show, from the second it began, has been the antithesis of recent Star Wars fare, replacing the evident and apparent bitterness towards the sequels and prequels with the sense of adventure, the original sense of like wondrous adventure that Star Wars became known for. And that was overwhelmingly true to me in this season finale.
0: I think there's a difference between fun and quality. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think they can combine together. I don't think Mando always does that though. As we've said on this pod, as I've said a million times on Twitter, the back half of season two is the most purely enjoyable blockbuster entertainment of 2020 bar none. You know, I, I, I point out negatives because I think it's more valuable to critique something you ultimately do enjoy than it is for me to say for the millionth time as the millionth person, hey, the prequels aren't that good. We get more merit and value and feedback by exploring the nooks and crannies of what we love and what we enjoy. And so here, I, I think it's fair to criticize and to bring up the points that I think hold the Mandalorian back from its ultimate potential. And and I believe that's expanded upon in the rest of this episode as well.
1: Okay. I respect your thoughts. I'm just shocked that we are full. I would have thought that out, like if we would have guessed before seeing it, I would have bet that our roles would have been flipped. Really? Yeah, because you're an OG Star Wars head. So I I feel like them operating on these such weightless highs compared to where this franchise has been for most of our lives. I'm just surprised that you're not more appreciative of that dramatic spike in general quality.
0: I don't really necessarily think it's it's comparable to the original trilogy. I, I don't find too, many, too much overlap or similarities between it, these. Two.
1: Not in the sense that finally it's just fun and people aren't complaining about the sequels and what they're doing with <laughs> Luke and Ray or the prequels and what George did wrong. as we talked about with Skyler last week, he said that this is the first time in a while where the talk around Star Wars has been positive.
0: Yeah and, and that's great and I recognize and acknowledge that I'm in the minority for sure but I, I think the original t- trilogy balanced fun and quality a bit more consistently than Mandalorian, in my opinion. But again, gotcha. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm right and the rest of the world drunk. Of course not. Literally, Disney Plus is, is single-handedly propped up by the Mandalorian. The whole world loves this show. I am not saying that I'm smarter than the whole world. But if we're in analyzing and dissecting and discussing this show each week, I got to bring the, the honest That's opinions fair. and evaluations. That's fair. That's fair. I, I I think from here in this point of the episode, there's both amazing highs and confounding lows and after this infiltration and this fight with the dark troopers who get sucked out into space dinjarin reaches baby yoda's holding cell where moff gideon is holding the dark saber above baby yoda and there gideon basically says like drop your blaster p- pass it over to me i've already gotten what i wanted from the kid which is his blood which we have to talk about too because now we know for sure that the Dark Troopers aren't like husks for Force-sensitive soldiers; that they're, they're droids. He specifically says, and the word choice is important, that it is order. Baby, yes, Baby Yoda is essentially this—the next step towards restoring order. He's the in key. The galaxy.
1: Yeah, he's like the key. Which,
0: so to me, I right, think that perhaps not be
1: Palpatine. God help
0: me. I, I think perhaps this is more closely tied to the Snoke. Dark magic force clone than we think, and not necessarily creating force sensitive armies.
1: Yeah, and I'm and I'm not thrilled to hear it because I don't know why they would go back down this road. But I will say that this is this was probably my favorite scene of the whole show. Um, this, this was the fir- what
0: this conversation.
1: Yeah, I think this was the first time that John Carlo Esposito really got to Gus Fring it up. From his, <laughs> Definitely. from his assume I know everything to the way that he sort of checkmated Mando into having the dark spear. This was the first time that we really got our Moff Gideon money's worth.
0: Give me the kid. The kid is just
1: fine where he is. Mesmerizing, isn't it? Used to belong to Bo-Katan. Yes, I know you've been traveling with Bo-Katan. A friendly piece of advice. Assume that I know everything. Like the fact that your wrist launcher has fired its one and only salvo. Where is this going? This is where it's going. I'm guessing that Bo-Katan and her boarding party have arrived at the bridge. Seeking me, or more accurately, this. That said, for a guy who claims to know everything, shouldn't he know that... Beskar can fend off lightsabers. I don't know. Just he a thought. But this fight scene was dope. I wrote down. I wanted more. Give Mando a, a spear or sword shaped tool. Needs to be his go-to the weapon of choice from here on out. Because
0: goddamn. No, no he just needs kneecap guns like Boba for every episode. No, That's what no. he needs. He is, beep, beep,
1: beep, beep. He is slick with it man yeah, this was nice.
0: a awesome duel i really wish it was longer i, I really heel wanted kick more. move
1: where he where he kicks the best spear with his fucking heel awesome. and it whacks Moth getting
0: that also Moth giddy an old guy pretty nice with it
1: yeah but you could tell he wasn't refined he was sort of nah. just just swinging but um, still
0: he had some skills
1: we had called as soon as this spear popped yep. up we knew that it was going to come to this i thought both this i thought that the verbal duel was just as thrilling as the saber spear duel cuz it proves that gideon isn't just a bad guy for bad guy's sake he sees grogu as a means to a terrifying end and sort of giving the further context of what he's trying to do with him and how much, again, it's cold and calculated. He's not cartoony, bad guy doing bad things, blowing shit up. He has an actionable plan that he thinks is truly for the best. And as you like to say, we love
0: the entire galaxy,
1: (laughs) dude, exactly. So I think that his sort of calmness and his belief in his goal was, was strong.
0: It's like Hannibal Lecter-esque, almost. Yeah, uh-huh. You know, this stillness of evil. So, so yeah, that's uh, a, good, that yeah, a great when, scene. When great conversation, he, great scene.
1: Yeah, when Mando pulled out his spear, it's, again, it's the crack of dawn.
0: I am, like, jumping on my bed. like I was I, Like, gassed up, man. All right, now here is where, essentially, the episode turns into both what I think is the best and worst, all right? And, and I, I'll get to it more. They are trapped in the control room of the cruiser. The dark troopers are fighting their way in there. All of a sudden, through the viewport, we see an X-Wing flying into frame. We see it land. They're asking, you know, who's there? Who's coming? Nobody's answering. The door is open. A shadowy figure, robed, a silhouette emerges. And he walks through the door. Looks on tape here, Brandon. What's going on? I like this. I like this. He walks through the carnage, comes across the first group of dark troopers. And what happens? A green lightsaber is ignited and all hell breaks. Now Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker. One more time for the fans in the back. Luke Skywalker has appeared in the Mandalorian and he lays waste. To an entire platoon of dark troopers. Now, we have said this whole season and today, which we have talked about, they basically made Mandalorian a superhero. Din Djarin is indestructible. Oh my God, how does this scene restructure the entire power hierarchy of the universe? This group of four or five badasses, multiple Mandalorian warriors, a shock trooper, you know, battle tested veterans. Are like, oh my God, we're so fucked because we can barely take out one or two of these things. Luke comes and takes out 20, 30 of them himself.
1: In a a thrillingly, but also subdued and serene takedown. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like there's there's no sense of
1: chaos or frenetic rage. It is swift. It is clean. It is gorgeous. I thought that the choice to use a CGI Luke and not recast the role, which would have added sort of the-
0: A whole subplot. A whole pressure of conversation being,
1: Of being the new Luke. Exactly. I will say, though, as dope as I thought the sequence as a whole was, his literal intro to me was underwhelming. A lone X-Wing slowly gliding in. As soon soon as, it. As soon as we saw that, we knew what was going down. And then Cara Dune's line, one X-Wing, great, we're saved absolutely torpedoes any dramatic weight that that specific moment could have and should have had. I thought that they should have just let it be quiet. Violence. And then, yep and then got into it. But her trying to drop a joke there, already increasingly laying on how thick it already was, didn't work for me. But that said, it was quickly saved by, as I just said, the sort of eloquence and calmness through which, which Luke, both using the force and cutting through them with his green blade, was just
0: beautiful. It was balletic. In terms of, if we're just talking about the choreography of this action set piece, it was beautifully balletic. And we were both wrong. We were both dead wrong. We both said there was going to be no Jedi showing up. And if any Jedi showed up, it it 100% wouldn't be Luke Skywalker. I was like convinced.
1: As we said pre-show though, I think that's because we tried to outthink ourselves. And as I wrote for bro Bible this week, I said, um, not only is Luke out there, but he's actively looking for Jedi to rebuild the Jedi order. Plus his in, presents the opportunity to feature arguably Star Wars most famous character at the absolute height of his legendary powers, which may be too sweet, dollar sign, wink, wink, of a (laughs) opportunity for Disney to pass up. And that was the case. I sort of knew that Disney wouldn't be able to resist, despite that I would have preferred this is a card that they played down the road. Once the timelines matched up, and the plot became clear, we should have known that it was always gonna to come to this. We're in the end game now. Fuck that Ezra shit and Cal Kestis and Mace Windu. Why even bother? This was always going to be the way.
0: First of all, perfectly sad, my friend. That was that was eloquent as shit. Second of all, I think I think you're right. We outthought ourselves. And ignored what was blatantly obvious right in front of our faces. But I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings in this. Will you? Will you allow me to pontificate for an extended? Okay, discussion? let me just
1: let me just see if I have any loop points left, so you could just let rip. Go ahead.
0: It's all you. All right. Now. Here we go, I'm, folks. <laughs> I'm, gonna I'm gonna let that chopper sing. I'm I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit from the piece I wrote this morning for Observer. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about Luke Skywalker's appearance in The Mandalorian. Now, narratively, the show set this up when Grogu reached out through the Force on the seeing stone in the tragedy. So, it does make sense that Luke would show up here. We also know just from, you know, details outside of The Mandalorian that he's actively recruiting Force-sensitive beings at this point in the Star Wars timeline to rebuild the Jedi Order. So, it makes sense. And like you just said so eloquently, uh, Eric, his reintroduction and subsequent carnage that he unleashes is a sight to behold. It is a Luke Skywalker in complete command of his power, the Jedi Master unleashed in a modern battle mode that we've never seen before. It's it's his badassery here was reminiscent to me of Vader's brand repairing action scene at the end of rogue one
1: i had the same thoughts and yep. they even sort of set it up that way at the end where the troops turn around that he comes out of the door i thought that the coolest you like to have the kill of the week and perhaps this is yours when he crushes that last dark trooper with the force bro Get the there fuck was, out of here. That was so sick.
0: There was sick. Clear, clear mirroring between Vader's appearance in Rogue One and this. Be, yep. And I want to say that it, it was balletic. It was unbelievably orchestrated. It was thrilling and amazing. And yet, Eric, and I know I'm going to get hate for this because I'm already getting hate for it on Twitter, but this is how I honestly feel. And I think it's pretty even-handed. No matter how much I was scintillated by this scene, introducing Luke. Who is the most central figure in all of Star Wars, looming over every single story told in this universe, it sucks all of the oxygen out of the room. There is a reason, as we've discussed on this pod, that the Force Awakens sidelined him until the very end, because he immediately consumes the entire frame. This is an iconic character who casts an immense shadow on every plot line and every being caught in his orbit. And so by comparison, every other storyline and character feels small and meaningless by comparison when when he's introduced now i want the mandalorian to stand on its own especially after a season of fantastically fun amazing lovable great cameos that nonetheless amounted to backdoor pilots for other series And, and i keep seeing this trend in mando it is so busy setting up an empire of Disney Plus series in admittedly entertaining fashion and hearkening back to the kind of golden age of Star Wars that I think it loses sight of its own narrative from time to time. Luke's cameo here, it's amazing, but it also shrinks the galaxy far, far away into something smaller. And I think those two things can be true at once. I think you can love every bit of it and yet feel that the Mandalorian wants to rely on familiar Star Wars history rather than strike out into bold new directions all its own and I think that's a fair even-handed criticism and compliment of what we saw and that's how I feel it is I feel conflicted about it and I think that represents both the best and worst and frankly you know even though people are hating on me on Twitter I, I think that's maybe what storytelling evaluation is all about, finding that balance between the things you love, the things you don't love, and sometimes acknowledging that it happens in the same exact moment. End rant.
1: I think you've been right about Luke all year in your analysis that he's a vacuum. He sucks out any dramatic weight that any other character might bring forth because he is- And I just
0: quickly want to say, I apologize for interjecting. The season finale of The Mandalorian pushes the Mandalorian to the side and hinges on a different character entirely. I just think narratively speaking, when you're creating this blockbuster show, he should be the driving force. Even when, even with leaving room for massive cool cameos like that, Ultimately, the episode hinges on Luke and not Din Djarin. Luke Skywalker sucks up all the oxygen in okay. the room, which is, I think, why The Force Awakens smartly sidelined him.
1: But because they didn't recast and it was clearly a CGI construction, it's clear he's not going to play a big role going forward. So if it's only one scene every two seasons or so, do you still feel that way? Because I feel as though like if he were to be an actual part of the plot, what you're saying would be true. But the fact, and this is not a good thing, but the fact that they more or less used him as a Dewey's ex machina for savior mitigates uh, my concern about what you're saying, because to me, it's clear this is not going to be a long-term thing. This was a one-off banger.
0: I think you bring up a really great point. I think my counter argument is that it is a moment in which character development and plot building can allow Din Jaren to reach a new level of resonance with his audience and development as a character. Now my sports analogy would be you have drew Brees for the new Orleans saints. And yet at the goal line, you put in Taysom Hill. I don't understand why you would bypass your central character having a monumental moment in the series in favor of a amazingly exciting and enjoyable fan service cameo. That's my counter argument. although I, I understand what you mean. You know, used sparingly, it's clearly not as egregious. I just don't think it's necessarily necessary,
1: ok. Now, before we get into the end, because this is because there's still a few more parts of the end that we need to dive into, let's get into the Luke and Baby Yoda from here. Great point. Baby Yoda is going to be a part of this show at some point. Where do you see this going? When do you see them coming back? How do you see them crossing paths? This is where I am useless, because frankly, I have no idea.
0: <laughs> so I think this is probably the most important question of the episode when we're talking about the future of the Mandalorian. And I'm really glad you brought it up because it was the first thing that popped into my mind. And I started scribbling notes immediately. One of two things I believe is going to happen. Number one, the least likely scenario in which season three actually does cut back to baby Yoda and Luke training together, similar to the empire strikes back and how Luke trained with a uh, grown-up Yoda training together. And maybe there's a few more scenes of Luke. I think that's the less likely scenario. The more likely scenario, you're absolutely right. They're not just going to get rid of Baby Yoda forever. So perhaps we don't see him for, maybe it's half of season three. Maybe it's all of season three. But at some point, when they need another rescue, like this format just showed us, Baby Yoda will show up. The cavalry will ride in. And he will maybe be a little bit older. I don't know how comparatively, given how his species ages, but he will p- clearly be more powerful in control of his abilities and represent this kind of what's what's the phrase, the Latin phrase? How do you pronounce it?
1: The first part I'm not sure, but it's D E U S. So it's Deus or Deus, whatever. Man, this is your job. This is why you're here. These, these this is true. I should, should know know. This. I, I should know. I should know this. I think it's Deus X. Machino, and it more or less means that it it's something yeah. designed specifically what what it's there for, that it comes out of nowhere to serve its job and its job alone.
0: If there's any Latin speakers listening and you want to just clown us for butchering it, please go ahead because yes, I would please. rather know the correct pronunciation. Exactly.
1: I would like to know as well.
0: <laughs> so I think that's the more likely scenario. I could see him not appearing in all of season three as what I've been saying for weeks. They refocus the show, soft reboot it revolving around the retaking of Mandalore as a unified people. And then maybe he shows up at the beginning of season four or at some point. I I do think we won't see him for X amount of extended time, though. Your takes are just too fire. The the department's after you.
1: (laughs) As I've long said this whole season and I was very wrong and I stuck to it. I always felt that the core of this show was the father-son tale of them growing up side by side. That, to me, is the inherent appeal of this. It's a space story, Western, but, but No, to me, this was a father-son story. So it'll be fascinating to see where the show, both plot-wise, theme-wise, and emotionally, where it goes from here. Because now they have to re-engineer a core emotional tie. You and I don't care about the planet of Mandalore yet. So they have to make us care to retake that. We cared since episode one about Baby Yoda. That was the number one concern on our minds. So they're pretty much starting from scratch and in a way revealing what the show is going to be in that perhaps every season or two is its own arc.
0: Eric, even though we've uh, disagreed a lot on this episode, I think this is your best debated, articulated, argued, Mando commentary of the entire podcast we've ever done.
1: I sent a text to you this week. We got to bring our A-games. This is it. This is it for the year. I think
0: you brought your A-game. I I think I brought the hot take this week and you brought the A-game, which is a a great combo.
1: Yeah, it's a good flip of roles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. I think you're always bringing A-game. But this I, I agree That's everything great. what you just said. This sort of pseudo anthology, I could be down with that. Each two or so seasons are its kind of its own uh its own adventure. But like you said, that requires a reorienting of our emotional anchors each time. And that's not an easy task to pull off. So if Jon Favreau can and do And the first that, time
1: was so easy, right? It's an adorable baby. Yep, so no easy. shit we're going to care about it, you know? So now it's, th- this show, for something that was so confident in what it's been doing, now it's going into completely unchartered waters. Yeah. So do you have any bow that you want to tie on the Luke arc?
0: Yes. And I have said it, but I'm just going to kind of re rephrase it. It is okay. And normal for me to be thrilled and disappointed at the same time. And I think it's valuable to try to suss out the nuance within that take. So, you know, hate me all you want, you guys, but all right. So now that I'm we've not, dealt, not, I'm not saying Mandalorian's garbage.
1: So now that we've dealt with what went down on the Jedi side of the room, let's break down what went on on the Mando side of the Which room. Which is
0: really what went on in our hearts.
1: Let's first talk about the Bo-Katan okay, thing, yeah. and then we'll get into that final goodbye between Grogu and... Yeah. All right, so...
0: So as we discussed earlier, as we discussed earlier when we were running through our plot recap, Din Djarin shows up with a bound Moth Gideon, and he offers... Bo-Katan the Darksaber this is a symbol of power for Mandalore with it she can begin to unite the scattered fractured Mandalorian clans and essentially jumpstart her goal of retaking Mandalore and re-establishing it as a safe haven for her people that is all really 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 big picture important ambitions we- and so when Moth you you, Yadier- called. you called that all season you did it seemed to be building that way. but So Moff Gideon snidely explains that be- because Bo-Katan did not win the Darksaber in battle, kind of like how the Elder One in Harry Potter can only go to the winner of a duel, she can't claim it. She can't just take it. I believe there's a time for honor and there's a time for realism. She is talking about the fate of an entire planet and her stubborn ideology, of which she has already said previously in the show is not always so cut and dry is really stringent here for no reason. That's what
1: I, that is exactly what I said at the top and it it is infuriating,
0: especially considering how
1: willing she's been to work with him up until this point. Or if she was so fucking serious about it, why not give him a heads up Mando? Look, man, if you take this saber from him, we're going to have a problem. So do what you can to make sure I'm there at the time. Just, just communicate. God, damn! If it was so important to her, she would have brought it up. This is where I agree with you entirely. This writing is perhaps as weak as we've seen in this show yet. Straight. And up. I
0: think there's a point to it. A point to it that doesn't excite me. It actually turns me off a little bit. I think what they could be setting up is not only friction between Bo Katan and Din Djarin as they do begrudgingly join forces to retake Mandalorian. But the start of the rom-com trope in which two people have friction with one another, can't stand one another, but ultimately end up together, not only because their alliance could unite the Mandalorians, but perhaps because they're going to be like, okay, we have problems with each other, but we're kind of falling in love throughout season three. I would be bothered by that, and I could see the seeds of that starting to be planted here. Maybe I'm reading too oh much into god, it. Oh my god, are you serious? Are you,
1: are you, I
0: did, does that not make a, a little bit of sense now that you hear it? For season three, like they're begrudgingly on the same time, side, but she holds a resentment because he has the dark saber. He's not fully committed to this kind of foreign ideal that that she has. But they fight together and they they form a relationship and they bond. And then ultimately, through both political and emotional reasons. They, they get hitched to help Mandalore and character development. I just feel like that's kind of well, where they're I, going I with it. I was going to
1: ask you, is season three just going to open with them kicking the shit out of each other? Because the vibe I got was... She's about to start to fight this dude right here and now.
0: There's definitely going to be beef. Even if they're on the same side, she's going to be resentful. as the
1: wielder of the dark saber, dude? So cool. Come on, dude. Luck right that completes I the look right there. I want to see him
0: dual wield the Beskar spear and the Darksaber at the same time against not droids, like real people that he's just cutting up.
1: Dude, like a Sith, like a legitimate yeah. Sith. Oh. That's what I want to say.
0: That's what I want to say. So, but look, she's going to be pissed about it as long as it's in his possession.
1: Yeah, and what's annoying is that it's built in. He can't just give it to her. Yeah. So he, which has like to... he can, she just won't accept it. So the only way that that sword can change hands at this point, as far as we know,
0: is that he fucking dies. Or so, I, well, <laughs> he took it from Moth Gideon by beating him in the duel, even if he didn't kill him, and it seemed like that was acceptable to her. That, like he, like the other person needs to yield, you know what I mean? Yeah, but so what they're just going to square up. Like, I don't, I look, I have faith that
1: they will pull it off if they go down the rom com route. That would be abhorrent. Not that it's going to be, be, st- be co-
0: comedic, I would be stunned. but that that's how rom coms start, you know? Not that the Mandalorian is suddenly going to be funny. Uh, well, we
1: did just say that they need to get, get us re emotionally attached, so I to just start don't know to if make this a- is the way, <laughs> good point, but. It would set up some dramatic weight wherein yeah. Mando needs to now save her life at some point. So,
0: and if we're comparing like Mandalorian- like
1: I don't think retaking a planet is a strong enough goal for you and I. We need a tangible human to care about, to want to be defended, to want to
0: live. Yeah, and and the, if we're comparing Mandalorian to Game of Thrones, which which people often do, the. Social and political jockeying of the holder of the Darksaber and Bo-Katan, the leader of a massive faction of Mandalorians, That that is interesting to me. I just don't like the rom-com elements, even if we need an emotional replacement in Baby Yoda's absence. We'll see. We'll see how they do it. It could be. We could be dead wrong. I could be 100% wrong. That's just the vibe I got from these kind of seedlings of plot ideas. What about sure. you? Okay.
1: Now, so, fair.
0: Now, the rest of this episode, whew, I'm, I'm getting emotional because <laughs> Baby Yoda, Grogu. Maybe we should start calling Grogu for this final scene. Mm. Grogu and Din Jaren have to say goodbye, and he says to Luke, he doesn't want to go with you. And Luke, Luke, kind of looks at him like he knows Din Jaren's a good guy. He just he's not letting himself understand in this moment, and he says with all of the patience. And kindness of a good father to Din Jaren. He's waiting for you to give him permission.
1: Are you a Jedi? I am. Come, little one. He doesn't want to go with you. He wants your permission. He is strong with the Force, but talent without training is nothing. I will give my life to protect the child, but he will not be safe until he masters his abilities. who you belong with he's one of your kind i'll see you again i promise
0: you know like it's okay din and it's okay baby yoda like i just thought that was this kind of cool paternal moment for all of them and he he scoops baby yoda up in his arms and he he doesn't say anything which i thought was a nice touch but he takes off his helmet and he allows grogu to to touch his face and we know what passes between them in that moment. It, it's their version of I, "I love you" to each other, even if it, it it's not said. And it was really emotional. And I think Pedro Pascal sells the shit out of this moment when the camera cuts back to him after Luke has taken him, and he and he's almost got tears in it in his what eyes, an not actor. quite. So what an
1: actor! I thought and we had said was all season we had praised him for the work, for all the immense acting work he's doing, without showing his face and that they have been able to develop a faceless superhero to the extent that they have where again we've been saying it all year this show is at its best when it is riding on its dramatic rails and this was that great you know this to me is for all the great points that you've made about where it falls short this was where the only moment that really mattered, because you knew the fight scenes would would be cool, and you knew that even if some Jedi popped up, it would work out in the end. Despite you may not like it or not, it didn't derail the show.
0: Listen, like I said, I I loved it and I hated it at the same time.
1: But it but duality. The, but this moment, <laughs> but this moment was where to me they stuck the landing between Max. Between what you just said, the way that it was a fatherly growth between the three of them, how Luke was the one to relay Grogu's feelings to him, to Grogu reaching out to want to see his face, to Mando, not only doing it, but doing it in a room full of people, which suggests that he's going to be doing it more. Um, Definitely. This was the emotional and and then therefore the overall high point of the show as a whole, for me so far, it had topped my season one finale feelings. I think when you consider the action scenes, we got a couple of great duels, uh, dog fighting, Luke, and the narrative and thematic conclusions, and two massive reveals, one of which is Luke, one of which we will get to at the end. This episode to me, is one of the best Star Wars things of all time.
0: I think had... And that is
1: largely because they stuck the emotional thematic narrative landing.
0: That that scene with Grogu and Din and really does stand out amid what I think is an improved season two overall as compared to season one. This was one of the best Star Wars moments in recent history. That this emotional goodbye, and very well-earned, you know? Every step of the way, it was building towards... <laughs> it's just oversimplification, but allowing the birds to leave the nest and kind of find their own destiny after Grogu inadvertently gave Din jaren his. Before, he was an aimless bounty hunter, no true home, a real foundling, and now he has his own pack, you know, that he made, that he chose, and there's something really, really beautiful and moving about all that. And I, and I think, Dan, that was good, that part. And Mando
1: does promise that they will see each other again. So when it happens in this show, and I'm sure it will, that's going to be a hell of a moment. So this for you worked. Bottom line is the taking off of the mask and the giving him off to Luke, that all worked for you.
0: Yeah, I, listen, I don't think this episode was as good as some of the other three, four last ones because I have my my problems with it. But I think this moment was, this moment may be my favorite in the Mandalorians two seasons. And one of my favorites of the Disney era Star Wars, for sure. This moment was great. And you know what? It's kind of funny that you say like, we'll see each other again. Like, I know this is ridiculous, but like, you know, like Olympic children who are like crazy trained and like, that's all they do. Right. Like, their parents can still visit them at, like, Olympic camp or whatever. Like, Dean <laughs> Garrett could go to wherever return wherever Luke is to be like, hey, I just want to spend, like, a couple days with him, and then they will leave again. And or like, as I
1: said, yo, we need your help. Yoda, get in my backpack, son. We're on the move. <laughs> I, we're riding. That's what I'm hoping.
0: I hope the season three poster is just that. Them. Pack, pack, I ride. think everyone
1: around them from Cara Dune to Moff to Bill Burr to Luke understands the connection between Din Djarin and Grogu. I don't think anybody wants to keep them apart. So there's still a chance that once Grogu is trained, the squad is back
0: together. It would be great. But I will now, just course- say,
1: and so here's my sort of quote worthy bottom line. I think oh for decades, Star Wars has felt lost. And with The Mandalorian, it feels found period the end i i I just get it now like this to me is my star wars
0: i respect that and even if we are on opposite ends of the spectrum a little bit i want everyone to find their star wars so like i'm happy for you as a friend as a podcast host you know that makes me happy and this wasn't so egregiously against my sensibilities that i'm like you can't enjoy this everyone out there giving me shit on twitter I, i get why you guys Loved it and didn't have any qualms like I did. I, I'm not saying remotely that I don't understand. But before we move on to the post credit scene, quick question. Were you disappointed that A, Grief Cargo didn't show up, and B, Cobb Vanth didn't show up? No. Cobb Vanth, I think it's clear, is going to be a part of the
1: Rangers of the new Republic show. That would be cool. Why else would they have brought him in? He is literally a Ranger, sort of. Yeah.
0: Any Pop, if y'all
1: whatever, guy, yeah. You know um, so no, but I am bummed ultimately that Grogu and Din went their own ways. I did not want that, even though it was in my face the whole time. I did my best to ignore it and try and come up with a way that I could make sense of it not going down that route, but they did. And I was inherently bummed because I enjoyed the two of them. So, season three for, for me enough. is you know, season three to me is going to be fascinating too. what sort of thematic tone this show now takes
0: how do you replace that and how long is baby yoda absent is it forever is it a little bit we'll find out right now the post credit scene
1: talk us I- through it B. I-,
0: I assume everybody has seen the episode by now or else why are you still freaking listening to this <laughs> podcast but you know <laughs> spoiler alert i guess um <laughs> uh, <laughs> So it opens in what was Jabba's palace and the pink tentacle guy, I don't know his name. He was actually an underling of Jabba. He's the guy in Return of the Jedi who gets Jedi mind trick by Luke and Jabba's like, oh, you weak-minded fool. So clearly this says that in the absence of Jabba, after he was killed in Return of the Jedi, this guy kind of took over the, the Hut crime syndicate and has been calling the shots. And I love how Fennec, and Boba, who has spent plenty of time in this crappy dungeon palace uh, in in his time as a bounty hunter, roll up, kill everybody, kill the pink tentacle guy, and he takes the throne, which suggests that the Book of Boba Fett, which is the announced spinoff name coming in December 2021, will see him perhaps lead his own crime syndicate, but maybe as an anti-hero where he does some good things, some bad things. Uh, Eric... It was an open secret that they were filming. They were already filming a Boba Fett spinoff. So when at the Disney Investor Day presentation they didn't officially announce it, everyone was like, "Huh, that's a little weird because we know what's happening. You know, you're not fooling us." So now they fooled we know me. They-,
1: they fooled me. I completely forgot. I completely <laughs> forgot. I was like, "Oh my god!" Because it was very cool of them to announce it. This, I think, is going to come out before season three does. So. This is, I think, the next Maybe, yeah. Star Wars show.
0: Potentially. No, no. Obi-Wan is probably going to come out before, right?
1: No. They didn't start I to film I think they, they've yet.
0: already started production. I don't know, my uh, friend. Whatever. December 2021 is when Boba <laughs> Fett's yeah, coming out, on. regardless. <laughs> it was just cool. This was a good use of the post credit scene, which I think can often be misguided in its attempt to execute a specific goal. This, I thought, was why the post credit scene exists. Well done. Cool callback. Awesome introduction. I'm in. Done. Badass. Let's go.
1: And uh, as I said on this podcast, I think that season two did a lot to make Boba Fett truly cool. And while before this, I would not have and really did not care about his own show. Now I'm in. I'm totally in.
0: He's like an anti-hero now, so... Let's so do it. Your this best cannot...
1: guess is, so, your best guess is it's entirely new tale about what he does from here.
0: I would assume so. Do you yeah. think
1: that they're going to do flashbacks of him, of how he survived?
0: I think if they have to. They come on. Much like the books, the expanded universe books that planted the idea of his survival post Return of the Jedi, if this show does not start with a uh, a gloved hand climbing out of the sand as we see a, a, yep. a figure claw his way out of the sarlek pit. If it doesn't start with that right from the, the jump, then that's just a missed opportunity. Facts.
1: I want to see it. that
0: immediately.
1: Yep. And they well, have to explain cool. why he didn't just step to Cobb Vanth all that time. And it was just chilling.
0: Yeah. Maybe it <laughs> took him a while to find him. I, I don't know, but we definitely, I definitely want to know all the ins and outs for sure. All right, Eric, let's jump into our rewards category. Sadly, the last time we'll be doing this for about a year. Uh, the kill count. This was, if we're killing a, a lot. What huh?
1: <laughs> Because it's just a fucking impossible at this point. Yes. Uh, I would say dark troopers alone, there were what? It, it looked like about 30 of them.
0: And probably similar for stormtroopers. Stormtroopers.
1: So, but I don't think and it's Moth a season. Gideon's still alive. High. Yep, Moth is still alive. So, but I don't think it's a season high. I think the season high came last week.
0: Yeah, um, he blew up an entire factory.
1: But so, yeah, if we're guessing, total bodies stacked. <laughs> TBS, total
0: bodies stacked. <laughs> yes, let's remember <laughs> that for next season. God help me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Probably like 60, 70. Solid count. Solid count. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, they stack I, bodies, I've been telling you. Yep, and I agree with what you said before. The kill of the week is, is Luke, as calmly as you are sipping your coffee right now, crushing a dark trooper into scrap metal without breaking a sweat. That yeah, was badass. Awesome.
1: I mean, this is, and as we've talked about Luke all year, i have liked to point out, this is as strong as we've ever seen him, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, damn and they just did and they just showed us right there
0: it really does benefit from modernized action choreography and effects it really does i love the original trilogy but i mean these lightsaber battles are just so much better
1: yeah it's insane they glide dude they just they they glide glide. it's so swift it's unbelievable like you put the perfect word on it it is like a ballet man
0: it really is so the trips to the Jedi Temple, discussing any references, to Jedi Force lightsaber. Um, I think we kind of got that. Dark saber, Luke in full force. Clearly, the Seeing Stone was effective a couple episodes ago when Grogu reached out through the Force. And I, I'm interested to see if we do get a glimpse of Baby Yoda training a la Luke in Empire Strikes Back, or if he is Dunzo for an extended period of time. So. We'll, we'll see how that, that fits out. I mean, clearly, they you have you, to look well.
1: You got to assume that they're going to keep us up to date with what's going on with them. Jon Favreau has said that this show, uh, this show is going to take on the form of Game of Thrones, and this could be the start of that where we're following various storylines and characters at
0: once. I, I hope Luke does not become like a central player. I think I don't, th- I don't know if Luke today- can. They
1: may just update us on Baby Yoda. You know, look, I just. I can't imagine. He is the breakout star of this show. He was a cultural phenomenon unto himself. Even if you didn't watch the show, you knew who he was. Yeah, you could bet true. your sweet ass that they still want to sell those toys. So, yeah, they
0: definitely do. Yeah. All right, the Baby Yoda Ah, and holy shit moment of the week. Uh, I think they're both the same one, and I think it's the one we discussed. He's, he's touching his daddy's face in the most beautiful, moving, poetic, Emotional Star Wars moment of The Mandalorian.
1: Yeah, I would say that that was as heartbreaking as Star Wars has ever been. I wrote, Jeesh, just fucking end me, dude.
0: <laughs> you're a real man in touch with your feelings, and I respect it, Eric. I <laughs> respect I it. I don't care, man. You know, fuck. You've got fu- tattoos, but you're willing to shed a tear. I like it. <laughs>
1: Should I get a tattoo of a tear? Then, I really? Care,
0: uh, she's which like I never even kind of put together. It's like the little Wayne tear tattoo from yeah, Lost, and I'm like, that's kind of dumb. She's
1: terrible. She can't act. If they revolve a show around her, they're in trouble.
0: I I hope Rangers of of the Republic is not the Kara dude shown, and is more equally distributed. Because, yeah. Oof. So,
1: oof, you're right. It's two and one, and it was devastating, and I loved it. Yep. <laughs> Use the force.
0: May the force be with you. May the force be with you.
1: May the Force be with you. Anakin, may the Force be with you. May the Force be with you, Master. May the
0: Force be with you both. So the best action fight moment of the episode, I mean, it's Luke's rampage, clearly. It's like, there's literally it's not It's tough enough. because
1: I enjoyed, while brief, the Mando-Moth duel. It was hyped I love up.
0: that too, but does that really compare to Luke laying waste were... in a way we've never seen him before? I he guess, was but, that's,
1: but that's just the thing, right? He laid waste. There was no challenge. I like... Okay. I like a threat, but I mean, That's come fair. on. It, it, come on. You're totally so, like, right.
0: Yeah. You're still going with that, even though there's other candidates.
1: But Mando, as I said, let this man use a spear or the yep. dark saber from here so on both. out because that scene was as cool of a fight scene as he's had in this entire show. I am going to cut a GIF of that heel move and just watch it over and over
0: again. <laughs> Please do. Please tweet it. I'll retweet it. Follow us at Postcredpod. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> the Wikipedia, so anything deep cut nerdy we might think casual fans need further explanation on i think our theorization probably right i i think our theorization about what moff gideon needs baby Yoda's blood for was kind of our our deep cut nerdy sense and boba fett i mean i feel like people are pretty caught up at this point they, they know what he's about they know where he comes from if for any case that you don't Boba Fett is a clone of Django Fett, who was a bounty hunter, a Mandalorian bounty hunter, who was the model for the clone troopers in the prequel trilogy that also probably carried over into the regular trilogy. Now, Bo-Katan saying, like, you're not even a real Mandalorian. I I think if you're raised by a Mandalorian father and well aware of the history, I kind of think you are a Mandalorian. Like, you know.
1: That's why she's full of shit.
0: You know, a first-generation American immigrant still is both American and what their original, you know, home country. Is. Right, I don't, exactly. I, I don't really think I, she was, she was really rude.
1: Yeah, exactly. She was a bitch. I told you for no like, reason.
0: Boba Fett is not necessarily the greatest dude in the world, but it, it, I, my feelings were hurt. Your donor, not your father. I like, Oh Z- my God. Remember he saw him beheaded. Xenophobic. It was a little xenophobic. You're right. That's, that's a good point. I wouldn't mind seeing that expanded on in season three. What, the like Mandalorian yeah, yeah. provincial uh- uh, you know, ideology and everything. I don't know. Yeah. All right. The Medal of Yabin, the MVP of this episode.
1: <sighs> All right. See, it's I, harder for me. I've got mine cued. This is the All MVP right, of the episode. This is the MVP of the season. It is the one and only Din This for man. A second
0: I thought you were going to say Beskar Spear.
1: Wow. Oh, <laughs> this man traveled the galaxy, fought sandworms, fought ice spiders and Boba Fett and dark troopers and clone troopers and got his ass kicked multiple times and in this one he takes down a dark trooper in a what was again brief but I thought thrilling fight scene because it was the first time all year where we were really like Mendo's getting his shit rocked right now (laughs) that (laughs) Um, was cool that was cool for sure he and although they come back his plan does work he shoots them all out into space he takes down Moth, saves Yoda, and is now the owner of the Darksaber, dude. He this guy, this guy put the team on his back. As we've talked about all year, the character growth, which they deployed this year, I thought was phenomenal. He went from being a uh completely still, quiet, unknown quantity to a living, breathing, human person with feelings and humor and desires so i think the strongest part of this show both in aesthetic fight scenes and thematic payoff and character growth mando is the mvp this year
0: yeah yeah you're right you're 100 right for everything you just said he grew from an archetype in season one to a character in season two and he and he he and a damn good one, and a damn yeah.
1: good one. There's serious depth to him. Like he, we're going to have to, in season three, we're going to be alongside of him as he comes to grips with understanding that the life he grew up in is not perhaps as it should be. Yeah. You no, know, he, so he's going to continue to like, now he's found something he loves. Now he's going to deal with not having that thing. So the way that they've developed, as we've said, a superhero to this point, like if you compare the depths of, him to any various MCU hero, I would argue Mando is infinitely more compelling.
0: Hot takes from Eric Italiano, I like it. Man, go I, Luke, I, go I, ahead, not, take him. No, 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 I, I go with you. No, because Luke is, provides the most thrilling moment of the episode, but it is also the biggest drawback in my opinion. So I, I, I agree. Like I said, I, with you, uh, and Din- I didn't Z even NGP. point it out. And we've talked about
1: he's also become, like, a leader. He rallied all of these different people from different corners of the galaxy to unite under one common goal. Phenomenal.
0: All right. this This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. We think things are going to go. Normally, this is a prediction for next episode. Right now, we have to do a prediction for next season. I'm sticking with what I said. I think we see an extended absence of Baby Yoda for a a while. I don't know if it's the whole season, but certainly a good chunk. And as I've written about for Observer, and as I've said on this podcast, season three is reoriented around the Mandalorian planet quest, which I think holds the potential to be very cool.
1: I think we're not done with Moff. They clearly did not kill him. This is a talent this is one of the most talented. I was wrong
0: about that, by the way. Remember I said Moff Gideon would die. Oh,
1: really? Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Um
0: Or you were just gracious enough not to throw it in my face, which I appreciate.
1: <laughs> this is a actor that unless you absolutely have to, you don't get rid of. I still think while wow, you nailed it all season how this show is going to go down the route of them trying to retake their home i also think it's still going to deal with mando perhaps coming in becoming a central figure in stopping the empire's growth into the first order even though we know he fails i still think that there's going to be a mando empire conflict going forward the empire is always going to be a factor in this show
0: now that just brings up the question to me how does the mandalorian end like the whole show now i'm just fascinated because we know the future is pretty bleak overall but man that that'll be a really tricky i mean
1: perhaps he dies Uh, well because what is it It, events of the force awakens is not for another 30 years so he could in theory uh, die of old age i suppose but just like they pulled off telling a compelling tale in Rogue One i'm sure they they could do the same here
0: you're right you're right all right well any last thoughts before we depart my friend all right it's been, it's been a hell of a journey by the way
1: let's it has it has this has been a blast i'm going to miss this show this as you said the i'm going to miss the show too this was the premiere blockbuster content of a very depressing brutal year it's let's been rate- fun
0: doing this every week, and yeah. I and I like season two a lot more than I like season one. I'm going to so, miss it too, despite my negatives.
1: So let's grade the season finale and season two overall. B minus. Both of them.
0: Oh no, sorry. B B minus for the season finale, A minus for for the for the season overall. Because I was not a huge fan of the first half of the the show, but I think the second half was so truly scintillating that it more than made up for it. So, A-minus for the season, B-minus for the finale. Yeah, maybe, eh, no, yeah, I'm gonna stick with that. I'm gonna go with A and A. Fair. I get it. That's one I want already. I
1: watched the episode twice today. I'm probably gonna watch it a third time before it's all said and done. Even though the show, in a lot of ways, didn't end the way that I wanted to, they brought in Luke. They split up Grogu and Din. I still thoroughly enjoyed it. So... This, to me, is threatening Rogue One. Ah. Skyler's choice of taking this with his top pick looks quite smart now.
0: Well, I still disagree. I am happy that The Mandalorian Season 2 has been entertaining overall. But, Just because... Go what? ahead. Go, no, no, go uh, ahead. No, I was going to segue into, like, what's coming next for Post-Credit Pod. So you same. go. No, Sam. I was going to do the same thing. Nice. All right, and just because The Mandalorian is over does not mean <laughs> so, <so>, so <laughs> This is why we're good podcast hosts, because we're on the same page. Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't have a bunch of great content coming up. In the near future, we're talking about Tenet and Wonder Woman, especially as HBO Max takes on this whole new ball game of streaming entertainment. We're going to check out Netflix's holiday release movies, you know, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with Chadwick Boseman, George Clooney's The Midnight Sky, a bunch of their high-profile releases coming up. What else do we have on the schedule?
1: Soul. We got Soul
0: coming. We Got soul on Disney Plus, and you know, anytime a Pixar movie drops, you know, we got to come and bring our A game because it makes grown men weep. Plus, I've, I've heard, seen soul.
1: I've oh, you have,
0: I have seen soul, yes. Oh, oh, and, you know, maybe, maybe we'll be doing a Pixar movie draft, who perhaps, knows? Perhaps,
1: who knows? Who it's knows? So, on and to the air, and then January 15th, guess what starts WandaVision.
0: Oh yeah, one. hell yeah! I'm really excited yep. for that. Yep. So, guys, we have a ton of great stuff coming on PostCredPod. I feel like we ended the year on a strong note, and we're starting the year on an even stronger note. Yep. So, be sure to to like, subscribe, follow us on Twitter at PostCredPod. Leave a us review, a review,
1: please, 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 please. Thank you very much. We
0: love y'all. And uh, you know what? This has been a hell of a fun time doing Mando over the last few months. And this is the way. I'm gonna make them an offer.
1: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.